0: G Child, one extra That's G Child, former BBC Radio 1 Extra DJ But so much more to so many people I first met Gavin at Represent, a community radio station in South London Working closely with him, I developed my skill set and turned the passion into a career If ever I get recognised for my work, his name will be read out As he's played a huge role in my radio journey After leaving his 8-year stint at One Extra, he worked closely with emerging presenters and producers. He shared his expertise and time to nourish the talented individuals that came through the Represent Radio doors. We caught up via Zoom to talk about his journey, a nightmare interview with Mariah Carey and his diligent work with the next generation of the country's finest broadcasters. So I wanted to wow. kick off basically talking about your childhood. I want to know like the soundtrack of the Gavin Douglas household and how you kind of took that and, and went into being a successful broadcaster and DJ. I
1: think my earliest memories of music was the kind of stuff that my mum was playing, which was, um, which was obviously reggae and, and soul and stuff like that she used to play a lot of. That kind of went on to like my brother and sister because I got an older brother and sister and they were playing more like early hip-hop, so breakdance stuff, like, you know, before it was really called hip-hop when it was more kind of like breaking and all that kind of thing, electro and um, that type of music. And then my brother became a rapper. So my brother was in a group and he done really well with that group. Like he, uh, he went platinum in France and like started doing a lot of touring. And back at the time, this is like the, the early 90s, the music channel, The Box used to play his videos and stuff like that. And that inspired me a lot. You know, but for me, I couldn't rap and I'm not a musician. So even though I tried, that wasn't really the path that I could take. Fast forward like years later, kind of the end of the 90s, like 96, 97, I decided that I wanted to DJ instead. So I started buying records and I bought some turntables and I used to set them up in my little bedroom and, you know, just try and practice mixing and spend a lot of time just trying to learn that. By the time the I started to, to know that I could actually do it. Then the next thing was, okay, I need to start thinking about getting shows and gigs and stuff like that. And obviously, you know, when you're first starting out, you'll do anything for, for nothing, do you know what I mean? Just to kind of get yourself that exposure.
0: How old were you when you picked up those decks and you started I was about 17, so I'd not long left school. How did your family react to that? How did your friends react to that? Were you the coolest guy in the crew? No. What was it like? Did you get girls? No, like-
1: uh, you know what? The funny thing was that when I bought the decks in the first place, because it was one of my friends that was selling them, when I brought them home, my mum was kind of like, what are those? Do you know what I mean? And, and I used to put them on um, on my dressing table, and she used to say to me, like, get them off the dressing table they look untidy they look messy so I used to have to take them and put them underneath my bed every time I'd finish using them I could never leave them on this dressing table because my mum used to go ballistic about it so um to begin with like I think my mum just looked at it as a fad and like I guess family-wise they didn't really look into it that deeply um friend-wise I mean there was one friend I'm still close with today and, and he used to come into my bedroom and me and him used to practice mixing together, whatever. And he was kind of like, you know, interested in it. But I don't think it's something that people take too seriously until you start showing how seriously you're taking it. And then they start to think to themselves, oh, actually, you know, so when it was, it got to the stage where, you know, I'm coming in the house with all these records all the time, do you know what I mean? Like, since there's any spare money that I had, I'd always be buying records. So the record collection was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, bigger, and I think, you know, at that point, I think my mum started to realise that, yeah, something's actually going on here.
0: You talk about buying records, there. that's really interesting. I remember my dad told me that when, back in his day, when a new song came out, they'd all congregate at the, um, there's a record store in North London, I can't remember the name of it. And they'd go there and they'd find out all the latest releases and they just enjoy the music together as a community. Can you think of the first record that you, um, you bought?
1: There was one day I was, um, I was heading home and ended up finding some money on the street. And I think it was only like, I don't know, it might have been about 20 pounds, 30 pounds, or something like that. And the person that I was with, we split it in half. So I've got on the bus and gone into Birmingham City Centre, gone to the record shop and bought a record with my part of the money. And that record was um, a hip hop group called the Skinny Boys. And I also got Bart Simpson, did a Bartman, and it's the picture disc.
0: I want to skip a couple of years then. So when, talk to me about when you kind of first got picked up by radio stations and you, you, your, your name started to buzz and you were, you were kind of playing out in the area. Just talk me through your journey up until broadcasting uh, at the BBC.
1: That was quite possibly the golden era for me because I think when you get to the destination that you're working so hard to get to is a great feeling. But when I look back at it now in retrospect, the grind of trying to get there, that's a the beautiful feeling as well because you've got that whole kind of like, I'm actually doing something now like and I'm really getting good at it you know so I think that that journey was from the bedroom to pirate radio uh one of my friends that I used to go to school with his mom had a show on a, on a pirate radio station and then he says oh I'm going up there to do my own show do you want to come I was like yeah I'll come um and this is on a Sunday morning and we've gone up to this radio station I've picked loads of records and then um he said to me oh like, you can't play until you've got yourself a name. And I'm like, name? I'm like, really? and at this point, I haven't got a clue. And I'm thinking, oh, and I'm putting myself on the spot. I'm thinking, oh, I've got to find the name, got to find the name. And then for some reason, don't ask me where it came from, but I thought of G-Child and I was like, okay, cool. That's my name. Um, so anyway, doing this show, I enjoyed it so much that then I found out who the person was that was running the radio station. And I turned around to him and I said, you know, can I have my own show? And he said, yes. So at that point, that's when it really started to take off, and that was in '97. So then I started doing um doing my own show. And tell us the name radio- of the radio.
0: Tell us the name of the radio station.
1: Chris Fm, it was called. And um what happened after that is I then realized, even though I'm buying all my records, I realized that other DJs were getting their records sent to them from record companies and I'm thinking to myself how are they doing that so I went into um Choice FM used to be in Birmingham as well as London and I went into Choice FM and I went to the reception and I says would you be able to print off a list of all the record companies that supply music to the radio station and she said yeah of course Akeem that piece of paper there changed my life that wow. one piece of paper do you know, what I mean, I'll never ever forget it because on there was every single record company in London. And what I did is I phoned them all and I told them I was on this pirate radio station. Could they send me records? And some of them were kind of like, well, you know, we don't do hip hop or whatever. They're dance orientated. But then some of them that were started sending me records. And that's how I met up with Semtex. So Semtex is an is a, is a, is a integral part of my, my journey, you know, um, in fact, one of the first to, to kind of put a hand out and really kind of help me through, you know, the growing stages of my career. So anyway, he put me on his mailing list, but then he also turned around to me and says, I've got a street team that I'm formatting in in the country for Sony, and I want you to be the Birmingham representative. And I was kind of like, yeah, great. Sounds like a really good opportunity. So um, whilst doing that, obviously I was getting all the records and I was getting them kind of like upfront and, you know before they were being sent out to, to other djs but then what was also happening is it, he, he would invite me down to do interviews with some of the artists so then i'd come down and i, I remember i think the first one that i ever done was prize from the fugees and then i'd done tatiana ali obviously ashley from um, fresh prince of bel air um and then it just went on and on and then i ended up interviewing mariah carey jill scott oh gosh who else was there genuine there was loads of them so all of a sudden, things are, are rapidly going quickly now because I'm going back to this pirate radio station that man, with all of these interviews with all of these big artists and I've got all my drops and all the rest of it and playing them and people are paying attention now because it's kind of like, rah, like, how do you get that? Or rah, he's interviewing Ray Carey, like what? <laughs> so um, my name started rinking off a lot more at that stage. Um, and then fast forward, I think I left that station because that station was based in Warsaw. And I'm from Birmingham and that was a bit of a trek for me to go to. So then I went to a more local station in Birmingham called Sting FM. And that was Sting FM at the time was like that was like the main station in Birmingham that that everybody was listening to and talking about. So I went there, um, done my thing on that station for a while, then ended up leaving there, went to another station called Sweet FM. And then not long after I was on there, I got a phone call from a person called Ray Paul, who said to me, um, I've heard about you, and I'd like to meet you because there's a new radio station that we're putting together that's um, that's for Black Music. National radio station. I'm thinking to myself, is this a prank? Like, come on, like, can't be calling me. And then I met up with him, and he said he asked me to bring him a mix, and these times, in, in this era, we was using mini-discs, so... Um, I done a mix put it on the disc, gave it to him didn't really think that much of it i think a week or so later he said he listened to it and he liked it and he asked me then to come down to london i was doing mixes which were mixing acapellas and instrumentals together and he liked that because all the mixes that had been sent by other people were probably probably technically better than mine but mine had something unique about it because What I was doing, nobody else would have done in the same way. And um, he said he really liked that. And then he said to me, um, can I do a mix of entirely instrumentals and acapellas together back to back to back? Because before I was doing it where I might do one that's like uh, an instrumental and acapella and then I'd do a normal song. Okay, I'll try. (laughs) I did it. And then he liked it. And then he says to me, oh, um, can you come down to London? and pilot for me. And at this stage, this is where it's starting to get real and I'm kind of like, whoa. And like me, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious as a person and I get nervous. I probably don't show it as much now. But, um, but when he asked me to come down, it was all very surreal because I'm there now, like from pirate radio and now I'm in BBC Radio One studio. You know, this is at the time where Trevor Nuss and, and all these these big people are doing their shows. And I'm kind of like, whoa. I've recorded the pilot. The pilot went horrendous. I couldn't get my words out. And them like dip, 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 and I couldn't I really couldn't get my words out. And wow. we had to start and stop and start and stop. And I walked away from that pilot and I remember walking back to the train station. And I was just deflated and um. I was kind of like, you know what? Well, I had this great opportunity and I've just messed it up because I couldn't get it together, do you know what I mean? And um, obviously I wasn't expecting to hear back from him again, but then, you know, God bless him. He seen something in me that I couldn't see within myself. I remember it was on the same day that um, there was a show called Popeye's and this is when Gareth Gates and Will Young were doing the final of, um, of Popeye's and I remember getting a call saying, we want to offer you a show and on one extra and at that point i couldn't believe what it was that i was hearing i was kind of like like you're joking i was jumping for joy i couldn't believe it i was so happy so so happy and i was thinking to myself oh my god look at this for a step in my career one you
0: extra, one extra.
1: One extra. <laughs> starting from the end of 97 to getting that call which would have been like 2000 and then one extra starting in 2002 it just felt like my DJ journey had just gone so quickly up to a level that I don't even know if I was ready for it, if I'm going to be honest with you, because it just happened so, so quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I was doing gigs around Birmingham and stuff like that, but on a national level, I, I I didn't really play outside of Birmingham. Do you know what I mean? So so to get to the stage where you're kind of doing a show on national radio was, um, was, was very surreal for me. And it was something that, Took me a, a good while to get
0: used to. I want to I want to track back a bit there. So you, you talked about doing the um acapella mix and and having it mm-hmm. having that as a kind of a unique uh, part of your DJing career. Um, yeah. Do you think at the pirate radio stations you learned from people, you picked things up, and it was a training ground for you to be able to go on absolutely. to do those things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was one person in particular. Um, a guy called Buzz Rock, who I'm who I'm back in contact with again now because I'm back in Birmingham, but he was the first person to really give me a break and really take me underneath his wings. And I love him dearly for that because when I used to do this pirate radio station, like I was saying, it was in Warsaw and it was quite a while away from where I lived. And I used to come on and do seven to nine and he used to come on after me and do nine to eleven. And I used to wait in the studio until he'd finished his show and then he'd drop me home. And then on the weekends, he used to come and pick me up and he used to take me to dances and then I'd play the music. He'd select the music, I'd play the music and then we had somebody else that was on the mic. So it was like a little, like a little mini sound system. Um, And he was the first one that passed me the mic and said, when I was in the club and said, look, just talk, just say something. And obviously, I don't know what I'm going to say. What did
0: you say? What did you say,
1: man? I can't remember. (laughs) I mean, I remember just being known. I think at the time when he told me to do that, the club wasn't rammed or anything like that, but it was, you know, Obviously, what he was doing, he was teaching me, yeah. do you know what I mean? He was, you know, like I said, he was taking me underneath his wing and, and giving me that experience. So, yeah, I would say that that, that was a, a major influence, but I was heavily, might as well say, hypnotised by radio because I would spend so much of my time listening to radio, whether it was other DJs on pirates, whether it was Choice FM, whether it was Radio 1 or whatever it was, you know, I would always try and listen to as much radio as possible because I wanted to take it in. I wanted to learn as much about it as possible. And, you know, there's no better learning than listening, you know? So do you,
0: do you think radio is a social activity or anti-social activity?
1: It's meant to be like, a a conversation between you and the presenters, you as the listener and the presenter, you know, um, where they're supposed to be talking about the music that they're into and getting you into it as well and educating you and telling you about things that you should be up on. So I think, yeah, I think it can be quite, it's a personal thing, it's a, it's,
0: it's that one-to-one medium, you know? I hear you, because I guess, when I started really kind of falling in love was, with radio was when I used to listen to, um. well, my mum always had Choice of on, so we had Daddy Ernie, we had Jeff Schumann, um, who else do we have there? Jenny Francis, all those guys. But when it was just kind of me solo, one one man up in my bedroom was listening to Logan Sama, eleven yeah. o'clock at night until one o'clock. So it was always kind of a solo, just you're just there, you're, you're, you're tuned in. But it was just always me on my ones in the box room, you know? That's why that's why I asked that question.
1: Was, there, yeah, was yeah, it
0: was it for you that you when you were younger, you just sort of stay in your room, listen to and try and listen to the latest music, how they put things together?
1: There was a guy called Simon Schoolboy Phillips, who I was absolutely beside with in terms of he was one of the presenters that used to do um used to do choice fm and he used to do a mixture He used to do a specialty show so he used to be on every evening playing like r&b and hip-hop um and then he used to be on the daytime as well and at first i didn't realize it was the same person that was doing both of these shows because he had two different type of personas so obviously he's got his daytime persona he's got his specialist and i was kind of like then and I think in the daytime he used to call himself Simon Phillips, and in the evening he used to call himself Schoolboy. Right. Um, and the, as a broadcaster, like he's one of the best. Do you know what I mean? Like he's um he's actually still on radio now. I think he does jazz FM or, or somewhere like that. But he um as as a broadcaster, he was just magnificent. He was just, he just had this style that was kind of like very personal, um, very bubbly, just like. Very warm, welcoming. And I used to just study, like, listening to him, listening to all his links and, you know, just, like, really being engrossed in what it was he was doing. I think that that was probably the first first major influence, I would say, that I had um, inspiring to be a broadcaster.
0: Basically, what you're saying to me is you were a real student of the game. You studied this inside out. There was nothing that you Absolutely. didn't Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent a
1: lot of time listening to you know, other people, even from when I like, I used to do it before I even knew that that's what I was doing because when I was like, I don't know, maybe about nine or 10, there was a rap show that used to come on um, on Capital. The results of all those scores on 013887919 has resulted in this week's brand new chart, the Alan's Army frontline chart, with two new entries and in the base position, first one at number 10 for the first- This is guy called and Mike in- Allen. And his rap show was, that was the first national hip hop show in the country. And I remember hearing his voice and hearing uh, like, and up one to number six, the style skin mass media, featuring DJ how he used to emphasize certain words. And, you know, he used to do this hip hop countdown and it'd be like this week at number 10, you know what I mean? And it would just grab you and, and bring you in, you know? Um, and I remember I used to do my own little, um, Christmas top tens when I used to like in my own head and just like practice my lines of kind of like what I would say would be like number 10 or number nine or whatever. So when I look back at it, that radio inevitably was always going to be something that I would have done because there was all these signs that showed that I had a real interest in it.
0: Do you now believe in yourself? Do you now believe that you can be this national broadcaster? Do you believe? No, no. do
1: you know what? Right. I was at One Extra for eight years. So I was there from 2002 to 2010 and I would definitely say that it was only until we got to about 2000 and maybe four or five that I actually started to feel at home and I actually started to flourish and, and start to become more of myself because I'd say the first year or two definitely it was all about the nerves it was all about I just couldn't get it together. I just literally couldn't. I'd always tried to kind of like, in my links, even if you go back and, and um, through the archives and listen to some of my earlier shows, oh gosh, I wouldn't want to listen to them myself because it's like the links and the stuttering, tripping over my words, oh my gosh. And it, the thing is, it, it used to haunt me so much because I would try so hard not to that, that it would be harder then because in my subconscious, I'm thinking about every word that it is that I'm saying, and I'm concentrating on so much in the words that it is, that I'm saying that I'm tripping over them. So rather than just talking freely, like I am now, yeah. I'd be thinking about it, overthinking it too much. And, and it would just always keep on tripping me up. And every time it would do that, it would throw me. Do you know what I mean? So then I have to bring myself back into a, into a place that I felt comfortable and, you know, open the mic. But I used to do loads of them shows and I'd just be nervous.
0: Let me, let me jump in there then. So uh, you've helped open the door to me and all my experiences basically in radio. How important would you say having a producer was for you at that stage in your career?
1: Massively. Um, there was a person um, at One Extra, it doesn't work there no more, called Tamsin Hamilton, and she was my first producer. And um, she really got me and she really, she really wanted me to win. And I could tell that, you know, she was genuinely, compassionate about wanting to see me do well so her style of kind of nurturing me and trying to bring out the best in me was was great because we just had the thing where we just understood each other and I just think that she was really good at doing things like that Um, but then I lost her as a producer because you know there's always shuffles and people move on from one show to another and blah 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 and I think when I did lose her I, I definitely felt like a little bit unsteady again at that point where it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a bit weird, but um, but having a producer, yeah, it's important because the producer, in my opinion, like the producer, yeah, you know, you could say that they're there to help kind of like, help clean the musical compliances or this, that, the other. But I think it's more than that. I think that, and this is what I used to do with like, a lot of you guys is that you got to build relationships with your presenter, do you know what I mean? Your presenter's got to feel 100% comfortable with you, said so the rapport between the two of you is, is second to none, where it's kind of like, they know that you're there and you've got their back. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because anything else other than that can kind of just make it feel a bit bit weird. And the chemistry can be a bit off. So yeah, I think producers are really important as long as you can get that, the right type of connection.
0: I wanted to ask you, this, might, this may be difficult because you may have various, but is there is there a moment in your career at One Extra that you'd say, look, that's my highlight. That's my, I've reached the, the zenith of my, my DJing career. What, what would you say is one of your highlights?
1: Yeah, that is a hard one. There's a few ones, but the first one that's gonna to spring to mind is that I've done an opening set at the NEC, which is the big arena in Birmingham for Kanye West. This is when he had one of the early albums anyway um, and that for me was like a big homecoming kind of experience because right. it's the NEC, and you know i've been to the NEC plenty of times before as just someone that pays to go and see someone so to be there and it was like that you know the crowd was really starting to fill out at the time when i was playing and, and it was just kind of like it was very surreal where it's kind of like wow like look at this Do you know what i mean like look where i am now look at what i'm doing and i was really proud of myself to kind of feel like you know um that what it is that i've been working towards has kind of got to this moment and i remember texting ray paul and, and saying to him like thank you so much for the opportunity it was like yeah man you went back to birmingham like the real big man and i was like you know what <laughs> that's how it finally felt that way you know i can't like did so, yeah that was that's probably one of the out of out of a good few moments that's probably the the first one that springs to mind
0: Okay, and then what what would you say was one of the toughest interviews that you did?
1: Mariah Carey again, because I did Mariah Carey. Um, I'm interviewing Mariah Carey twice, and the second time um, was when I was doing Saturday Nights on One Extra. And <laughs> what happened was this time is that she's coming to the studio, but she's coming to the studio with a massive entourage, yeah. and um, as I'm interviewing and and I, I just said the wrong thing, and I says. Uh, gonna ask you a question, but I don't want you to get um, I don't want you to get nervous about it. And then everybody in the room's kind of like, <gasps> like, what's he about to say? And I think what I was gonna say was, wasn't anything that was kind of like controversial or anything that put her on the spot or anything like that. And I don't even know why I said it in the first place. But um, after I said what I said, I was kind of like, oh, why did I say that? Um, so the interview didn't go so well because I think at that point um she was a bit more shielded and guarded with her answers and stuff like that so okay. that's probably one of the ones that i felt like Ugh.
0: and then on the flip side of that the, the one of the best interviews that you think you've had on air on one extra and when i say best i mean like chemistry there was vibe. terry walker was someone that i'd interview quite a few times on one extra and i always liked talking to
1: terry because we got on outside of music as well yeah Do you know what i mean and um yeah, having a conversation with her was always cool and I always felt like it was, because Terry's got this persona where it's kind of like sistering vibes, do you know what I mean? So mm. you're not kind of like, even though obviously you're interviewing her about her career and stuff like that, but it's just on a level. Yeah. So you don't always feel like the mics are on and you're doing this as a part of an interview. It just feels like a conversation. So yeah, those were um, those interviews that I did before, I always liked.
0: I want to speak about, just your genius and, and uncovering you know, uh, some, of, some, some of the best broadcasters the country's got at the minute. So I wanted to talk to you about, so we're going to jump, because I'm sure there's a lot between you leaving One Extra and, and teaching radio, but just talk yeah. to me about how you got into teaching radio um, and kind of, yeah, your, your early introduction to that.
1: One day, I knew that I was losing my show on One Extra. I knew that they were going to get rid of me. You got the call or you got the email saying, can you come in, wanna talk to you? Okay, cool, you know what's coming. So you go into the room um, and at this point there was uh, Ben Cooper and and Wilbur Wilbur and They turn around and says, listen, um, we're here to let you know that we're not about to offer you the breakfast show, but you are about to lose your show. Okay, cool. And at that point I was kind of like, you know what? Okay, cool. Because I always thought that I was only gonna last a year on that station anyway, and I lasted eight. So I kind of felt like i walked away with more than what I came with as an experience. So anyway, as I've left the station, I found out about this other place called um, Media Trust. And I've gone there because I wanted to search for opportunities to work with young people. And they told me that there was a radio station in Peckham and I could go there and do some mentoring So I was like, okay, cool. And I went there and I went and checked it out and there wasn't really that much that was going on there. I've gone there with no real expectations, but then as I've gone in there and I've looked around and I was like, okay, cool. I thought, okay, there's something here. I'm not too sure what, but there's something here. That's where I started to think, yeah, this is something that I want to do more of. Do you know what I mean? So any spare time that it was that I had, I'd go down there just to kind of sit in on the shows and kind of like, you know, talk to the young people, get to know who they are and all that kind of stuff. And I just felt like, it just felt like such a a natural progress to kind of go from my journey of being at Pirate Radio, going to One Extra, having that, that, that transition within itself, which is a big one, um... To them seeing if I can pass on what it is that I've learned to anybody else that would want to listen to it or or would find it helpful you know, and that's where it started
0: and what what was it like so you you walk through the door you're you're introducing yourself you're meeting all these budding young aspiring broadcasters was that easy to to go in there and be like yo I'm child from one extra you know what I mean like no. maybe was there, was there an ego you had maybe you've just come from a national Absolutely radio.
1: not do you know what? And I think that that's been a big part of what it is that I've done with people is that I've never tried to use the whole I'm G-child and you're at the beginning of your career so you must listen to me because I know better than you do because I don't believe in, in that type of egotistical behaviour. don't think it's necessary And and if that was the way that someone was talking to me when I was coming up, I'd be looking at them like, He's got a big head
0: hey.
1: I'm really trying to take your advice because I don't really want to be like you anyway in the sense of being all e- egotistical like yeah I'd like to be successful but cut out the ego so I never went in there with with any kind of chip on my shoulder or anything like that you know I, I went in there you know as Gavin mm. Do you know what I mean drop the G child I went in there as Gavin Do you know what I mean like and I downplay a lot of it where it's like oh yeah I did a show blah 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 I wouldn't really want
0: to talk about that as much you know. To be, to be honest with you, Gab, I, I can't remember how long into knowing you did I realise that you were G-child, to be totally honest. Right. So what you're saying is totally true, because I, I worked with you closely, um, and I don't remember that really coming up. Uh, talk to me about working with the young broadcasters and, and when you started to realise that you could kind of, you could see who had the potential to go on and do big, bad things on national radio.
1: When I went in there, to begin with, there was a lot of young people that was in there that I felt were kind of not that serious and kind of treating the place more like a youth club and just like somewhere to socialise, which is fine and fair enough, because as we know, there's not really that many places for young people to hang out. Mm -hmm. Um, But in my head, I'm like, well, look, this is on FM radio. um, And there's facilities here for people to, to learn the craft. You know, it doesn't have to be high-tech equipment and state-of-the-art this, that, the offer, but there's enough here to get a signal going from this studio to around South London. So the first transition that I had to make was I had to try and, and engage the people that I felt really wanted to do radio, the ones that were really serious about it, and give them the most opportunities. Um, and Within doing that, I think it was Jams, you know, that like shout out Jams Supernova, like because she's the one that I always call my firstborn in terms of my radio kids. Because Jams, um Jams, when she knew that I was there, because I think Jams was already doing stuff at, at one extra already. And then I think that when she realized that I was coming down and hanging around at represent, she asked me to mentor her. So I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I remember I used to listen to her shows and then I'd write down feedback for her and I'd send it in an email and I'd say, you know, just listen to your show, try and work on this, try and work on that, or blah, blah, blah. And we built like uh, a really nice bond and rapport between each other. Like I got so much love for Jams, so, so, so much. And coincidentally, Jams was the first person to kind of leave represent to go to One Extra, and even more coincidentally is that when I was doing an r and show on, on One Extra, and when I lost my r and show, there's a person called CJ Beats who took over from me, and then the person that took over from CJ Beats was Jams, so it all kind of went in a mad kind of. That's what I'm saying. There's things that happened that you'd say, ah, oh, nah, but it's the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, so, um, yeah, so seeing obviously what it is what it is that has happened with jams in, in fact actually before that because you know at that point then what what my thing was was that i need to get as many young people that really want to do radio involved in this as possible so we've done like a talent pool um and done like a call out drive for people to kind of come uh, send sending their demos and then we go to. Um, Three meals. So we go to three meals and then we do the day and we get people to come in and do a pilot and blah, blah, blah. And that's how I met Naina, Reese, Mimshake. I
0: think Kenny might have been one of them as well. Right, so you've, um, met, you've met these people then. And, and what is it about, because you, you must have met loads of other kids then. How did you know, what was it about them that stood out? I'll just match the, the attributes
1: that I had to what it is that I'm being approached with by somebody. So if you're an aspiring presenter and you come up to me and I can see traces of myself in what it is that you're saying, then we're going to click because that bond is going to be there at that point because I'm going to look at you in the same way that someone would have looked at me and that's all it was more than anything because I would just look at people and see from how they're communicating with me how serious they are about what it is that they want to do and if I felt like you know what this seems like me this seems like how I was when when I was trying to come through then I'd be like like you know what give them a chance give them a chance let's see how far we can go with this And, and that's it that's that's probably the criteria for me so it was mainly their their hunger and their drive that said the, the drive, the passion, the want to do this, see it in their eyes, you can hear it in their voice. Do you know what I mean? Like you just you can see it. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, not everybody that I'd kind of given radio shows to had those attributes. And some of them I wanted to see if I could pull it out of them because going back to the whole Ray Paul scenario of kind of me being nervous and blah, blah, blah. Imagine if he would have turned around and taken that as me, the kind of nervous and shy and anxious person, then I would have never have got the opportunity on one extra. So I couldn't look at everybody like that, but I could look at a percentage of people like that, but then there'd be also people that I would look at that probably didn't have those attributes, but I'd then look at them and think, you know what, let me try with them at least, you know, give them a shot and see how far they can go with it.
0: All right, well, okay. That's That's really quite beautiful listening to that as someone who's been... In, in close circles to all those people you've mentioned so with all that said you've seen all these people go on to to be national broadcasters what would you say is your most rewarding um or one of the most rewarding things you've done in your career in terms of teaching people radio and, and how to be an excellent broadcaster that's a hard one you know because yeah, I know. <laughs> um... There's so many so many people you've touched along the way yeah yeah yeah
1: Jeremiah is now going to be on radio one at seven o'clock in the evening' it's radio one jeremiah see on. even up to today when I find out things like that, it feels a place inside me like you wouldn't believe it's 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 just uh it's 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 not overwhelming but it's just uh just such a beautiful feeling inside because obviously i'll always remember not in a bad way but i'll always remember how all of you guys were when you was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed so to speak do you know what i mean when you're really just starting to cut your teeth into what it is you're doing so um there's always a sense of proudness and always a sense of kind of like wow like look what's happened you've kept going and now look at the doors that have opened for you do you know what i mean like and even though a lot of people thank me for kind of like helping them at the beginning of their journeys or whatever, I look at it that if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. And if they really wanted to get to where it is that they wanted to get to, they've definitely got the talent. They were going to get there anyway. Like, I'm just happy that I could have, I spotted them at the time that I did, but I just think it was always a matter of time. Like, like, look at, like, Shai, she's a star, like there's, there's no way, like, I, I knew that Shai was a star from, from before she come to represent, do you know what I mean? When she was doing this thing called um, video with Man Like P. Do you know what I mean? That's how I found her on, on YouTube. And it was kind of like, when I watched it and I was kind of like, that girl there, that girl there, I need to get her involved in what it is that we're doing here. Do you know what I mean? And that's how it worked, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and I did what it is that I had to do to, to work with her. And she didn't know that I had my eye on her and didn't know that I was watching what it was that she was doing. But in my head, I'm thinking, you know what, I need to get, Closer to this one here because she's onto something, do you know what I mean, and I want to work with her. And and you know, I just think that was just me being forthcoming, where anybody else could have spied that at any point. And, and the way that she is as a person as well, she was gonna get through anyway. Yeah. <laughs> How she was gonna get through anyway because she's determined, and she knows what she wants, and she wants this so passionately. So to see the fruits of her labor come to where it is today is no surprise to me. Because it was
0: it was written all, all along, in my opinion. Wow, that's beautiful, man. That's wholesome stuff. You you're making me, you know, kind of move. Right it's now. the truth, though, man. I mean,
1: look, it's a uh, um, it's been such a beautiful, such a beautiful journey, you know, such a such a like I just said, it's just like a proud, proud journey for me to just see what all of you guys are doing. Do you know what I mean? And and how you've carried on with it, and it wasn't just a a little phase that he was going through. Because obviously at the the time when you all started, you was all in your early 20s or some of you were teenagers and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So it's easy to kind of pick up something and then go into a different direction. That's completely fine. Nothing wrong with that. But you can see that a lot of you guys have got it ingrained in you now. Do you know what I mean? Like this is something that runs through your veins and it's something that you passionately want to do and you've carried on with it and you kept going. And because you've done that, you've unveiled all of these other opportunities that have come from persistence and consistency.
0: This is a heavy one right now. So with Jamal yeah. and Skiba passing, a lot a lots been yeah. discussed recently about legacy. What would you yeah. like yours to be? I mean, that, that that's not even a
1: hard one for me. That's an easy one. Just someone that selflessly tried to help people, as many people as possible. Doesn't matter whether you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're female, doesn't matter if you're male, doesn't matter about your gender, doesn't matter about your sexuality, doesn't matter about anything your religious background, whatever, it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Just help if you can, and the, the recipient is willing to accept the help and they want it, just help, that's it. And that's what I'd like to be remembered for as a person that you know would help anybody, anybody that, that, that came to me that says, Gavin, could you help me with this? Or I'm trying to do this, what do you think? Could you give me some advice or whatever? that I would just give it like unreservably and, and and just give it without there being an ulterior motive or anything like that. If I could be left with any type of legacy, that's the one that
0: I'd like to be remembered by. Nice. Uh, I've always known you to be calm, measured and calculated in everything that you do. What makes you angry and upset?
1: Um, disrespect. I don't like being disrespected because I feel like I don't disrespect people. I try not to, if I can help it. But... When you, when you wholeheartedly try and help people and it comes from the purest place in your body and your soul, your mind, your mouth, whatever, um, and you have that kind of scrunched up and thrown back at you in a disrespectful manner, I can't stand that. I'm not gonna lie, that's 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 my my main thing that I can't stand. I'd rather, like maybe just don't do anything rather than show disrespect because I don't deserve that. I don't think anybody that helps people or you know, truly just does anything without, you know, selflessly. I think disrespect is the worst thing that you can do to a person like that. And if I've ever done that to anybody, I'd like to apologise. I don't think I have, but if I have, you know, I'm very big on, that's the only thing I'd say, disrespect.
0: What scares you, Gavin? Losing it all. What's what's it, Losing, what's it all?
1: What's it all? Well, I've worked hard for a long time, you know, to try and, I think, like, I'm at this stage in my life at the moment where I'm trying to diversify myself and trying to diversify my career and I'm not just focusing on music anymore. I spent a good 25 years of my life concentrating on music and now I'm at that stage where it's kind of like I'm thinking about other things and I'm applying my time and energy into other things and um, it's scary as well because it's kind of like when you're doing things, because you don't know exactly what it is you're doing. You don't have the same 20 years experiences of what you've got in music. And you're starting out more or less from day one. It's knowing that it might not work. And if you don't work, you tend to lose. But obviously I'm not gonna, you know, there's something that I, I found out years ago is, is feel the fear and do it anyway. And, you know, don't let the fears come in between, you know, your aspirations and the things that it is that you want to achieve, just go for it anyway. And if, if it doesn't work, learn why it didn't work and go back and rectify why it didn't work but don't let growing pains make you feel like you're losing in something, you know, but don't get me wrong, I say all of that and, and it might sound a little bit hypocritical but I do sometimes worry about if it does go wrong and, and I lose everything that it is that I've worked towards because now I have a child, I've got mortgages, I've got responsibilities you know what i mean so um although i'm quite confident with what it is that i'm doing that the fear i guess in some aspects of losing it all still kind of loom somewhere over my head
0: so a lot of people aspire to be like the next clara anfo or kenny all-star for example what would yeah. you say makes a really great and distinctive broadcaster
1: you've got to be you this is why you know um I would say things to Shy like, Shy, please just do me one favor. Don't stop being you. Just be you because you are fine the way that you are. And Shy is quite a unique character in my opinion, because she's she's a curveball in the sense of you don't know what's going to come out of her mouth. Do you know what I mean? So it can put you on edge in it. She might say something where you're like, whoa, whoa. You know, and I like that because that's her and that's her personality and she's doing what it is that she's doing unapologetically and I'm just so happy that she's doing what it is that she's doing and that's what I would say in my opinion it's a leaf out of that book that I think is what makes a great presenter is being you do you know what I mean and whatever you is so whether that is you as a calm person very relaxed very kind of like soft tone voice then just do that rather than trying to emphasise your words and try and go in with all this husk and aggression. And then when you put the mic down, it's
0: kind of like, you, know, you
1: know, and you're all very softly spoken. And Just be you and whatever the realest version is of you, be that and then run with it. And people that like that will gravitate towards it and, you know, they'll champion you for being you. And that's what I think makes a great broadcast, in my opinion. Rhys Parkinson, another one. He's him? That's Reese. Like you hear Reese on air. That's Reese. Yeah. I can hear it myself. I listen to his show. Like, that's Reese. That doesn't sound no different. To if I pick up the phone and if I speak to Reese and, and I'm talking to him, yeah, that's him. That's that's the beauty, in my opinion.
0: That's the beauty of a great broadcaster. That authenticity, being authenticity, yourself. just be you. Just be you. And then to wrap up. I wanted to ask you a question, basically not a question or, or to pass on advice. So if someone's approaching the end or come towards the end of their broadcasting career and they're thinking, actually, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed this, but I wanna to help touch the next generation of broadcasters, be it producers, be it presenters, you know, what would you what would you say to that person in terms of broaching those, you know, making that contact and then being able to develop something meaningful and long-term? um
1: Don't just talk about it. Be about it. In the sense of, look, it's easy just to approach someone on DM or or someone that you don't know or whatever, and be like, "Hey, yo, like, I want to do blah blah blah." That's just words. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you really want someone to take you seriously, like, be about it. Show something has some some substance to what it is that you're approaching that person with. Make it more convincing. Do you know what I mean? You know, add a little something to it that 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 brings a little more conviction to what it is that you're saying because if if you're just going to do it as it's just, just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to try a thing, you know, that person's probably not going to pay that much attention because they're being approached by this person, that person, blah, blah, blah. So I always look at it that if you are trying to get onto somebody's radar, or whatever, then, then, be tactical, be strategic about what it is you're doing, put your best foot forward, do you know what I mean? But show something as well, because, and don't get me wrong, I mean, if you're just starting out at, at the very, very beginning and you haven't got a clue about how it all works, I think before approaching people um, that are that are already doing what it is that you're aspiring to do, see what it is that you can do as DIY to begin with.
0: Mm-hmm. Because,
1: look... When i started dj and i didn't go and ask somebody to teach me how to dj before i could dj i went and taught myself and then when i started to get good then i would start to show over people what it is that i'm doing and blah 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 because i could show them something so if i made a mixtape or something like that i could give them the mixtape do you know what i mean so at least then you can hear so i think that that's sometimes it's not always about fast tracking it taking a shortcut like oh you know what I'll just go straight to the to someone I know that's producing or someone I know that's presenting or someone I know that's DJing and they can help me out blah 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 like do a little do a little bit of research for yourself and and prep yourself up you know what I mean and you know what later than your career if you do make it through you'll appreciate the fact that that's the route that you took rather than the shortcut because there's, there's there's a few too many shortcuts nowadays in my opinion don't get me wrong I don't hate the game, you know, what I mean, or i sorry, I don't hate the player and I don't hate the game because it is what it is. Um, but just to me, as a kind of like more of a traditionalist, I just think. Yeah, just 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 build up your ammunition first before you go out to somebody and, and, and approach them with what it is that, you know, you want to do. And I think that they're going to look at you even more
0: seriously by seeing what it is that you've got as a substance. On that note, I'm gonna wrap it up, man. What a wholesome conversation always always educating and teaching and just passing on the wisdom, man. I always appreciate you go
1: listen, I miss radio, man. I'm not gonna lie. there's parts of me now I'm starting to miss it, man. I'm like, boy, I mean, in a funny way, like don't get me wrong. it's not like I'm trying to to get back into it again like that, but um, yeah. you know there are parts of me sometimes when I think about the next generation that's coming through and I'd still like to be able to pass on some knowledge to them if I could. G child, one extra.